Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. My name's Kurt Robinson. My name's Aaron Battle. So this is part two of our special talking about me, my beautiful, amazing self, uh, talking about my personal journey, my evolution philosophically and mentally, stepping through the process of discovering liberty and why liberty is good, why people can look out for each other and participate in free markets and voluntary interactions and help each other and what, how important that is. How Mexicans understand liberty fundamentally. There's something interesting about Latin American culture that people inherently understand that it's it's good to do things for yourself and be independent. We cover politics, we cover government, the roles of government, and maybe they're maybe they're not so needed. Yep. And we talk a bit about Australian politics as well. Cool. So press like, press subscribe on YouTube, press subscribe on iTunes and podcast, press like on Facebook and tell us a few bones at donate.theparadiseparadox.com. We appreciate your support. Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. My name's Kurt Robinson. And my name's Aaron Battle. So we're just going to keep rolling. We're talking about exactly the same thing we were talking about a moment ago or from uh, last episode from your perspective. So I'm just explaining how I got to be how I am politically or apolitically, explaining how I'm now a libertarian anarchist or anarcho-capitalist or voluntarist. And... So uh, last time I was explaining how I sent a few letters to some government organizations to try to judge their legitimacy or ask them where they got their authority. And the Australian Taxation Office sent me back a whole bunch of garbage which didn't explain anything, which didn't explain how their authority was legitimate. And so that definitely uh, planted the seed of doubt in my mind well if it, if it hadn't already been planted i think they watered it significantly and uh that's around yeah around that time again i was uh started to pay attention to ron paul and and he started planting these ideas in my mind about economic liberty um, and of course i'd always valued personal liberty the other thing i did uh, as, as an experiment continuing on with this law stuff, I wasn't content to just send a letter to a government department and uh, try to find out what was going on that way. I was actually, uh, I wanted to experiment. I wanted to explore the concept practically. So what I did was I looked at, the, I looked at it an easy way I could accidentally get a fine from the government. So... And on the trams in Melbourne, if you uh, don't have a ticket on you, then th when the tram inspectors get on, and they, they hardly ever get on, but when they do, they'll stop you and ask you for your name and uh, a, f a few other details, and they'll confirm your identity, and later you'll receive a fine in the mail. At the time, it was about $180, but these days it's about $210, which... Uh, 
again, I mean, there's a maxim of common law, let the punishment match the crime. Let the, let the punishment be proportional to the crime. So I don't know how it makes sense that you can skip on a $4 fare and then be charged two hundred and ten dollars. It it didn't make any more, and, and it didn't make sense to me. And and again, it seemed to be another contradiction, another injustice of of the system. But also, it's a matter of special privilege because if you're a private bus operator, and somebody gets on your bus without a ticket, I mean, you can kick them off. That's your right, but you can't take them to court especially not using taxpayer money to fund the prosecutors. That's ridiculous. <laughs> You'd probably just ask them to pay for their ticket. Yeah, exactly. And then you leave them alone. Yeah, and that was another example of government inefficiency. And I'm not entirely sure if they set it up this way deliberately. It might just be a matter of incompetence. But what happens in Melbourne when you get on the tram, you can't actually pay for a ticket on the tram anymore. Uh, even if you have money with you and, you know, you got it there in your hand and you're ready to give it to somebody, you can't. Uh, so, so what normally happens is a bunch of tourists get on the tram, they look to pay, realize they can't pay and get fined $210. And this is the way the system works. It's ridiculous. Or, you know, you pay by a credit card. Uh, but the the payment doesn't arrive on your on your public transport card until 48 hours later. So uh, this is uh, the whole ridiculous thing about uh, it's just a classic example of how governments organize things. They're not incentivized to organize things well. They're not incentivized to provide good customer service because it doesn't matter what happens to them from their perspective. Um, they're going to get paid regardless. They're going to get paid on the taxpayer's dollar and the taxpayer's dollar is extracted by force rather than money given willingly. Yeah, I wonder if, if you could get a government to crowdfund their, um, their yeah. annual budget. Yeah. yeah. Would they they'd be making staff cuts? <laughs> yeah. Right? You bet they would, yeah. Like, because if we, on a, on a voluntary basis, were able to, to contribute mm -hmm. to um, Liberal or Labor or the Greens yep. or whatever have yep. you... the major parties in Australia, yep. I don't, I don't think people would, uh, would willingly give them as much tax money as what we do. No. As, as like, a, okay, we're going, we're going to... But no, they're, they're going to ask a question. What are you going to do with the money? Mm. Exactly, yeah. Suddenly it, people become a, a lot more aware about what's happening when they have to make a decision where they're going to put their money. That's pretty basic to crowdfunding. They try mm. and um, advertise what they're, what they're going to do and timelines and, yep. you know, you, and they're, they're aware that you're using other people's money to mm. complete a project mm. and, you know, you, you're expected to, de to deliver. Mm. With government, it's expected um, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, they'll tell you their expectation. I remember in the in the Hunter Valley, where I where we grew up, on the Hunter Line, they had those red rattlers. You remember this? Like if you caught the train. Well, I never really caught the train okay. much, okay. but okay. I know the ones well, you're talking about. All right. Well, I yeah, I used to catch a train a lot, and they were like, they made this declaration. The government uh, they said by 1996 or whatever year it was, we will have all of the red rattlers off the lines, uh, and 
their solution was actually to paint them gray. These, these uh, crappy old trains that, yeah, they were no longer red rattlers. They painted them a different color. <laughs> were they, do people know that? Oh, it was obvious. This is a kind of govern, government project, you know. Uh, so many times if you look at government projects, they'll say, oh, we'll be finished in 2012. Three years later, then it actually happens. And the, that's not unusual in, in any government around the world. I'm just trying to think of more of a public government example other than, yeah. uh, other than wanting to fund them yourself yeah. or asking what do you need the funds for. Um, I, I'm, coming, I'm coming up dry. Mm. Like the way the opportunity to, I mean, for example, we were talking about government because, you know, government provides services for the public. Yep. But if the public were able to choose their own service mm. and who they wanted to run that, which I suppose that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's um, like the ideal. That's what, when, when people actually believe in government, that's what they think is happening somehow. So I, know, I know we touched on this Briefly, in episode three, we talk mm. about the, the economics of freedom. Yep. And, uh, you know, we, we mentioned that, that we are the government. That the government is just people. Yeah, you said that. I didn't. That, okay, no, no, okay. <laughs> I, I said yeah. that we are the government. Yeah. And, and what, what I mean by that is, is that it's our neighbors and people in our community that get yeah. in their cars and when we're driving to work, yeah. you guys, uh, they're driving to their office which is a government council building, and that's their job, right? Except yeah, and, and in theory, everybody has voted these in and it's all very legitimate and, and above board. And yeah, yeah that's, the, that's kind of the theory. We are, we are the government because we voted them in. We chose who, who to do it and, and government is the things we do together. But that, well, that's just some rhetoric. That's a that, that's, that's there's easy. little rela relation on reality. Yeah, it's a nice little, nice little game, isn't it? Because, yeah, because yeah. We're, we're told to be part of it, we, we can choose to vote or not vote on A, B, or C. Yeah. Or D and E to never get in because there's not enough people. Yeah. And uh, that, that's the extent of the gameplay. It's like, oh, well, you know, I, I voted for B. A is now running the, running the, the well, I guess the, the politics now. Mm. Um, I guess I've got to put up with him until, uh, until the next four years. Mm. I guess I've got to put up with whoever it is uh, until I get to vote again. And maybe next time I might get my way. Mm. 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 Yeah, it, why, why are you laughing? That's <laughs> what they do. That's exactly what they do. Well, this, this is a, a graphic that comes up on, on uh, Facebook sometimes. And it's like, uh, government, this is how democracy works. Um, like... Situation A, you get the guy who you wanted in, uh, you, you get your candidate elected, and he forces other people to do what you want them to do. Or scenario B, someone else gets their candidate elected and they force you what they want to do. Like, uh, those are pretty much your only two options. And that, that's, uh, that's in a ideal scenario. Like, that's if the politicians actually do what you want them to, <laughs> which is unlikely. Yeah. I don't know what they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've been, out of, I've been out of that for a while. It's been <laughs> at least six months before I've even put an ear to the ground on what's happened in, in the Australian political system. Yeah, well, you know, Tony Abbott's eating onions. 
Did you see that footage? No, I didn't. Okay, so Tony Abbott did a little PR thing, like a little photo op, went to some onion farm in Tasmania or Victoria, and he uh, he picks up an onion, skin and all, and just bites right into it, like as if cool. he has no idea what an onion is or what it's used for. Maybe the guy has lived such a sheltered life he's never set foot in the kitchen. Uh, some people would... You know, suggest it might be accurate considering his uh, level of passive misogyny, and <laughs> or it's some people what, say, what, what is he's an alien? Like, why why is he doing this? No, is he don't. so? Fa- <laughs> okay. Don't do this to me. <laughs> to bite into an onion, skin and all, like I could almost understand if it didn't have the skin on there. I would almost say, okay, well, you know, some people like that kind of spicy. Peel up the shell skin yeah, and have, have a little bit, you know, I have uh, raw onion on a taco or a sandwich uh, and that's fine. But no, skin and all, like, is, is this guy from another planet? He has no idea what people do on earth, how people eat. Uh, he thinks we receive our nutrition intravenously or what, you know, what, what is in this guy's brain? Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah well it's a, yeah the other option people brought up were like people were saying mk ultra like he's being controlled by the cia yeah <laughs> or maybe he's an alien but yeah. irrespective it's the same thing i mean who bites an onion <laughs> I, I i could i mean i don't mind onion but i mean i'd peel the, the hard shell off the outside yeah. first yeah the, the crunchy the onion industry loved it they said they were getting a lot of good press onions uh, the onion corporation or whatever yeah, they were like two thumbs up. You know, we love him. <laughs> cool, but uh, yeah, what, what what was his reaction? Did he eat it like a like just like an apple or a? Oh well, or he ma- he made this face like he um like maybe it wasn't his favorite thing in the world. Like the first time eating an oyster or something, and I'll bind into it and mm, like like he was considering it. Like like it's a it, like it's a fine wine and it's yeah. it's not sweet or exactly. You know, uh, it's it's a little tart. It's got uh, some different kinds of flavors. He was really you know, analyzing different it. layers of it. Yeah, like mm, yeah, interesting, interesting palate. Well, do you think he did it by accident? As in, know. He, you know, he was it was he was in I don't know in trance and just picked it up and bit into it. I have no idea what goes through his mind. I mean, the 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 classic video is also. Uh, where, where he's not saying anything, you know, somebody asked him about a gaffe, which he made like this faux pas where he said to some soldiers, shit happens. Shit happens. Yeah. And uh, from the context, maybe it was, maybe he was actually saying, uh, you know, sometimes bad things happen when you're in the military, but, but the way it came off or the way the media portrayed it was he was like, you know, tough shit. You're, you're a soldier and you die. <laughs> um, well, you know and, what? If he's, yeah. if he's stuck to his story, yeah. we're like, you know what? I was with the boys and I said, shit happens. So mm. what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what he actually did was for about 30 seconds or two minutes, he's just staring at the reporter. Yeah, it's like he has PTSD or something. It, it, he just it's, it like, it's like he's, he's really messed up. Like he's... he's uh, got a thousand yard stare and now has come back from battle and doesn't really like he, he just flips out and has some kind of weird flashback i don't think he's actually ever been in the military uh yeah mm. i'm just recalling the, the footage 
Yeah. It was like, it was like 30 seconds, right? Like it was, or 20 seconds. It wasn't like it a... Could, it could have been like two minutes. <laughs> it was a, a while. It's a long time. And the reporters there like, you're not saying anything, Tony. Uh, yeah, I know. He just can, like keeps nodding like he's about to explode or something. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely a bizarre character. I just don't understand how that could how that could happen. Like, I understand maybe like you know one second or two seconds, like um, and then not not saying that. Yeah, and it. then he he says, "I've given you the response that you deserve." Like this reporter was scum for somehow asking him to clarify what he what he meant. <laughs> yeah, he should have just Which, said, I was, "I was, yeah, I said it." <laughs> and, yeah. it and it does. Well, you know, what what came out last week was uh, David Leinhelm, the the Liberal Democrat senator in Australia. He came out and uh, he compared uh, the previous Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, uh, to to a dog. He said, well, you know, every every dog has has a day. Uh, This was in some internet comment from like three years ago before he got elected. He was like, every every dog has a day and it looks like this mangy dog is about to finish hers. And and it was very, really innocuous uh, to say something like that. Like, it wasn't like he was saying she's a, she's a, dirty old dog like she's got the she eats scraps from under the table or, or she eats her own crap or <laughs> i find it a very aussie way to talk yeah exactly and that's i mean a, it's, it's like it's like what you hear dad saying but, you know, that's <laughs> kind of the aussie way exactly and that's what that's what he said in response to it when the media hit him up about it he was like i don't really remember saying that but i guess uh, maybe i did say that i don't really give a fuck if i do <laughs> 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 those were literally his words yeah uh, so. it's good it's, yeah. it's good I think more politicians should be real yeah like they don't need to pretend to be all formal and you know perfect with every mm. single response it's like you know what yeah I'm I'm, I'm one of like I'm one of the people yeah that's yeah. the way it should be yeah that's what, yeah. I, that's what I thought he's like well that's how most Australians talk when they're at home so what's the big deal <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think he's making a lot of a lot of waves. A lot of people criticize him and say, oh, well, he only got on because he, his party name is Liberal Democrats and people mistook him for a member of the Liberal Party. Just one marketing. Of the two parties. <laughs> Sorry? That's just marketing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they did it deliberately, but whatever. Uh, I mean, the, uh, a lot of the... A lot of people would have voted for him anyway. He probably would have got the seat anyway, but that's the, the criticism that keeps coming up. With, but with the way he's going, the, the way like he's such a straight shooter, I think the Liberal Democrats are going to get more and more support. But that's also, a, I think, it's kind of just a political cycle because parties, a lot of political parties might start with some kind of uh, principled grounding, some moral principles, some some framework they say you know this is what we stand for like the liberal party in australia originally was more of a classical liberal party but now they they don't really care they just suck on big businesses dick uh and the labor party was supposed to represent the unions i guess that's still still kind of true to some extent yeah, yeah i find labor still kind of follows suit but liberal kind of yeah. lost their way yeah yeah so yeah, it's like the, the, the Liberal Party, 
the Liberal Party kisses big businesses' butt, and and the Labor Party kisses the unions' butt, and and that's how it kind of works out. Or I think what would happen if the Liberal Democrats, even though I, I like I like the party, I like David Leinhelm, I think if it progressed to a point where they're actually a major party. Forget about it, you know, they'll just get corrupted and, and that's the cycle beginning all over. Uh, but I like that he's in there and, and talking, about, talking about things. How do you, how they, um, how's the public accepting this new party? Uh, well, I think it's, I think it's got a good response because uh, Lionhelm can't help but make the papers because <laughs> his, his uh, position from a mainstream perspective, is just so radical. And uh, I guess in some ways it's hard for people to uh, to, to nail him down because uh, the word libertarian still isn't such a common word in the Australian vernacular mm. or classical liberal. People don't know what those words mean. And so, so they call him a centrist or some kind of nonsense like that. Um, well, that's a point we were discussing earlier. It's not like Australians naturally associate themselves to a party. Yeah. It's like not like in the US. I think a lot of older people do, but I think that with, with younger people, they don't really uh, click in so much with that. Except with some, I see a lot of people following the Greens, a lot of young people. Yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah, I think the Greens are like watermelons. The, the green on the outside and red on the inside. They're all commies, they're socialists, yeah. That's like a, a social system thing, right? Like we, so, we're going we're gonna to look yeah. after the people? Socialism is the idea that the state, um, the state owns the means of production, but the ideal behind it is that they're going to protect people and look after people. And, and yeah. Do they do that? Like, do they, the keep, Greens. do they keep true to their... Well, the Greens, I, I think the Greens actually tend to put the environment before people. So they, they support stuff like closing down the mines. And, and I can understand why they would want to close down mines and try to protect the environment. But the, the problem is we've got to worry about people as well. Are you going to just, uh, like, shut down people's livelihood? That's, that's a big... Destroy towns. Yeah, just destroy towns, you know, send heaps of people broke. So it's like a, a policy where they haven't considered the entire economic consequences. And that tends to be basically what socialism relies on. <laughs> like, if, uh, I think it was Rothbard who said, if socialists understood economics, they wouldn't be socialists. Yeah. That, that checks out. Yeah. That, I think, for a moment, would uh, would go over someone's head as in okay, it's, mm. a, it's a funny call, mm. but but why is that exactly? Ah, that's a that's a whole deep thing. Okay, the yeah, the I mean it's, is, it's it's important because I, I told you before I I wouldn't have I would have like said okay cool, but now it's like of course mm. if if they were inclined to be more money orientated or you know yeah. to grow the economy, then you'd be you'd be trimming that off. But at the same yep. time, if you were more inclined to look after people, then it comes back to growing the economy anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, the best way, like, uh, there's a Hebrew or Jewish tradition to say the highest form of charity 
is to uh, allow someone to be productive on their own, to, to support themselves. And I know that's kind of sentiment within your family as well. And, and yeah, well, I remember like my little brother, Amos, he was kind of a strong socialist for a while, for, for a few years. And now he's, he still has some socialist ideals, but um, he's, he's not so far to the left. And I remember I was having a conversation with him and he, he's like, but why? Why do people need so much money? Why do they need to make so much money? I mean, they're, they're happy. Uh, they, they, you know, they could be uh, just fine with just a little bit of money and, and everything would be fine. And I was like, well, hold on. I mean, yeah, they don't need it. That doesn't mean they don't want it. I mean, are you trying to change human nature through a political system? I mean, if you if you want to change human nature, maybe there's some kind of uh, way you can do it, uh, like like educating people. Okay, but not through force, not through a political system. That's just that's not going to work. They're going to do it through food. Through food. How through food. Mean? Well, through through uh, GMOs, through <laughs> high sugar diets. All right, putting BVP in, in your drink bottles and whatever and, and uh, removing testosterone causing parts from your diet and generating more estrogen is replacements. That, that's that's what happened in England, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, no, I, don't I, want to, I don't want to touch on that one. Okay, gonna, that's, okay. That requires a whole lot of research. No, well, I mean, I, I knew England do recycle a lot of water. So right. they, uh, their filtering system was not removing the, uh, the hormones that were in, that's in the, uh, like the okay. um, what's it called? In the water supply. Yeah, I mean, well, the water supplies, it gets filtered, but they're not pulling out like the hormones that are in, um, like, you know, the, the medication that females take. Yeah. To okay. Birth control. The pill. Birth control, or uh, well, I mean, any any hormone related drug, they they weren't they weren't filtering. Yeah. So all that went straight through, and those mm. those men that were, were growing racks <laughs> <laughs> to be professional. Top rack material. Watch us again at the Paradise Paradox. Watch us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, and listen to us on iTunes or Pocket Casts. Yeah, so I decided to go out and get that tram fine, or I got a couple actually. And uh, <laughs> so I went out and got it. Yeah, yeah, because I was like, well, you know, now that I see this is kind of illegitimate, because I'm like, how is this public transport system funded? Well, it's funded by tax money. And then they go on and they make it. They make the public transport system, and then they force us to pay for it. Like that—that that doesn't make sense. And the and the uh, the maxim of law, which I thought applied, was uh, natural equity or good faith do not allow us to demand twice twice payment of the same thing. I mean, if if I'm a carpenter and I sell you a table and uh, you pay me $200, and, and then I, I think, oh, maybe Aaron is such a bubblehead that I could get him to pay twice. <laughs> I'm just yeah, I'm kidding. Relax. Uh, <laughs> um, and then I send you another letter saying, please, you know, this is an invoice. Pay me $200 for that table. What do you call that? I call that creative accounting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of... 
uh, government employees would employ that uh, Orwellian language. It's called fraud. Of course, it's called fraud. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that's like um, pay for it, then pay the rent that you weren't told about. It's double dipping. I mean, the whole tax system is set up like that. Double dipping, yeah. And they even do things like uh, when they worked in insurance, they would charge stamp duty and and the fire service levy. Then they charge GST on top of that. I mean, uh, it's really not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to tax taxes. That's really not supposed to happen. Uh, Well, that's just just the start. Yeah. I mean, you start wanting to retire and that's a whole new new area of taxes. Mm. I mean, um, uh, Richard, the guy from uh, Swiss Metal, sent me an article how Australia are looking at taxing deposits into bank accounts. Mm, Yeah, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. It's, it's like, are they it's running like, out of like things to tax? five basis points and, yeah, but basically they're, they're saying, oh, it's just, a, it's just a tax on banks. Well, you know where banks get their money, right? They get it from their customers. They get it from their deposits. So, they, yeah, they put on five basis points, like 0.05% uh, as, as a deposit tax. And then basically it would, it would come off your interest rate than you normally receive in a savings account. Um, that's probably how they would structure it. And then, you know, probably after five years, it would be up to, to 50 basis points, 0.5% or 1% or whatever. Yeah, they, they have to be aware that the, the bank is only going to push these charges to the consumers. Yeah, but people, people aren't. People don't, don't connect that. that will like when you find a corporation, people will call out, and, and say, yeah, fine, that corporation for polluting the river. Well, then you're not finding a corporation. A corporation is, isn't a person. A corporation is, is a legal entity. Well, that's that's uh, company tax and, as well. Yeah, yeah. So you're actually, I mean, you're finding the, maybe the, the employees or you're, you're finding the, the customers of that organization or the shareholders. You're not really finding the corporation. It's not like the CEO receives no, thing. something uh, like a big uh, bill in the mail. That's not how it goes. Yeah, it just becomes another cost of doing business, yeah. which gets spread over all products or services that, that are provided, yeah. which is going to affect the bottom line or the price mm. or the surcharge or whatever they're going to call it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so they don't really care. They put an extra five cent charge on their ice creams or whatever they're selling, business as usual. Yeah, so the th- <laughs> so the thing was, um, I started calling up when I received these fines in the mail from the Department of Transport. I started calling them up and I said, "Well, what what is this? Like, what what is it that you've sent me in the mail? I mean, I don't really understand." I sent them a couple of letters beforehand and saying. Well, what authority do you have to to send me this bill? And and uh, how do you know? I, like I can see you've quoted the Transport Act of nineteen whatever it was. Uh, and how do you know? Or what evidence do you have that this act applies to me? And of course, they didn't answer that question. Uh, they well, they actually. Oh, that was probably one of the more direct answers I got because they told me something like, "Well, this applies." This act applies to all persons in the state of Victoria. And so I wrote them back saying, well, what? hang on. I mean, the state of Victoria is, I mean, it's a landmass, 
but it's also a, a legal entity like a, a corporation. Um, and, and what is a person? Because a person can be a, a corporation, a person can be uh, an employee. There, there are many definitions of, of the word person. So can you, can you define your terms? If you're going to tell me that, that it applies to all persons in the state of Victoria, I need to know what that means. Uh, and of course, they, they didn't answer that question. And I, I understand partly the reason they don't answer that question is because they don't want to say something that isn't approved by their legal department and then have it come back and bite them in the ass later because uh, that could, somehow could be construed as giving legal advice. Or if they tell me something erroneous, then they could be personally liable. There's a, there's a whole bunch of things like that. Not that holding bureaucrats liable is a very easy thing to do. But the yeah, the thing was I called up this, this guy and the, the letter came and it was like from B. Simpson. And I was like, is this... Is this guy having a laugh or what? <laughs> what is going on here? But I called him up. His name was Brett. Brett Simpson. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I said, Brett, what's the, what's the deal? Like, why are you sending me this letter? I don't I don't get it. And it's like, look, you you just have to pay it or you go to court. Uh, I'm like, but why? I mean, uh, I ask you these questions. Like, why why am I liable what proof do you have that this act applies to me and it's like why are you doing this kurt is is it for the money i'm like no that's that's not what it's about right um trying to see it from my perspective i received this this uh what appears to be a bill or an invoice in the mail from a company whose services or, or, or an organization whose services i've never contracted and you're requesting me this money um, it, it doesn't actually say what this service was you provided to me and you're claiming that I owe you this money. Um, but then when I ask you to provide evidence to, to that, uh, claim, you're unable to provide any evidence. And he said, I'm not going to argue with this. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you about this. <laughs> Look, just pay the, pay the fine or go to court. Uh, this conversation is over. And I was stunned. I, I just sat there in silence for like 20 seconds. And he's like, are, are you still there? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He's, he said, oh, goodbye. <laughs> like, I, I think you... He, he, yeah, he, I think he surprised himself with his own anger um, and probably the first time in his life that anybody have, ever asked him those questions and he didn't know how to react and, and uh, then he was uh, surprised that he acted in such an impolite manner. But that's what a lot of people do when you ask them questions which challenge their worldview. He might have been upset with himself. Mm. But never considered your point of view. Yeah, possibly. Well, yeah, I mean, he was more empathetic than most. I'll give him that. Um, so then uh, I ended up going to court and there were a whole bunch of strange things about it. I mean, they they tried to bamboozle me with a bunch of things. Um and they, uh, they they got me. They got me. I ended up getting the fines reduced. So that was one thing. 
um, it's a it's kind of a partial win. So a, a site that I recommend if you want to go down this path, I, I'm not offering legal advice or anything, but if, if you want to have do some research about this, an interesting site to look up is markstevens.net, M-A-R-C-S-T-E-V-E-N-S.net. And, and his motto is uh, creating a voluntary society one visitor at a time. And he's, he likes to call up uh, bureaucrats and prosecutors and ask them for this type of thing. There's a funny one where he calls up someone in Dandenong, like just outside of Melbourne, and, and uh, tries to get some evidence out of them. And it's obvious this prosecutor is like, like 80% bogan. Uh, so it's it's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, I, I highly recommend the site for their entertainment value, especially the calls of shame. They they did this stuff like in court. The the prosecutor was there, and he was like this green kid straight out of law school. And I'd sent the prosecution a whole bunch of letters and they never sent me any response. So when I got to court, I had this thick water papers, which was all the correspondence that I'd sent to them. The magistrate on the first occasion, she kept asking me for my argument. And I was like, well, I'm not here to present an argument. I'm just here to present the facts. And these are the facts. This is the correspondence that I've had with the prosecution and they haven't responded. And I had to repeat myself about three or four times before the magistrate eventually said, uh, okay, I'll have a look. Uh, and the basically, she, it seemed like she was avoiding... She didn't want to look what at what the actual issues were because she knew it was going to open up a can of worms or she had the, the feeling that it might open up a can of worms. But, I mean, how ridiculous is that? I mean, I've been sending these letters to the prosecution for months, months, and they haven't responded. Then when I come to court, the magistrate gets there and she's like, I don't want to, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what you've been talking about to the prosecution. I'm like... If if that, this happened today, I'll be like, hold on. I mean, you know, this court is supposed to be to resolve the issue, right? And and that's what I've been trying to do. So- <laughs> I don't think you're the only one in this situation. Most people yeah. go into court just find the whole process mm. expensive, yeah, time consuming, exactly. And often, oftenly enough, not very productive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and that's another example of government failure um, nobody really wants to use the court system people are looking at alternatives other arbitration systems like like when people get divorced they don't want to go through the court system and take three years and pay tens of thousands of dollars who who really wants to do that i mean you get you get a private arbitrator and you can pay like less than a thousand dollars and they'll help you sort out your divorce pretty amazing what you can do when you get the government out of the way so, uh, even a few hundred dollars, I think, some of these services. I'll take your word on that. Yeah. I've still got plenty of government in my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that happens, you know. Got to wipe your shoes off every now and then. So, yeah, so that was the thing. And then the, the prosecutor was like, oh, uh, actually, I haven't seen that correspondence. Uh, can I have a look at that first? I wish I'd pointed this out because on his desk or in his other hand, were actually a bunch of letters, registered post envelopes with my handwriting on them. So uh, <laughs> if, the, if this happened, like this was my first time ever in court and I was so, I didn't 
really know what I was doing. But if, if it happened again, I probably would have pointed out how ridiculous he looked and how unprepared he was, how the prosecution hadn't even bothered to try to sort it out before coming to court. So they were basically wasting the court's time. And yeah, there were a whole, whole lot of other things. You know that stuff doesn't matter. It, it matters to some extent because if, if I embarrass the prosecutor enough, like if I make the magistrate look like an idiot, then that's not going to work in my favor. But if I make the prosecution look like an idiot and completely incompetent, yes, that, that works in my favor. Uh, because when it gets to a certain point, the magistrate isn't, isn't going to have much choice. She has to save face mm. too, because this is a public court. Yeah, there are, there are people around, that. like how is she going to run it through uh, and fudge it if it's obvious that the prosecution has no idea what they're doing? I, I wish I had more experience when I went to court. Yeah, on, on some level, I'm like, oh, I'd like to try that out again because it's a buzz, it's a yeah, adrenaline. It's cool. But on the other hand, I'm like, no, that's a whole lot of stress that I didn't want, don't want, don't need. Uh, I prefer to, you know, there's a whole bunch of other ways that I could be uh, using my time. So, so true. There was a, yeah, there was a lot of weird things about that. I mean, the... The magistrate ended up saying, uh, okay, uh, this appears to be a constitutional argument. Um, we're going to stand down the case for six months. And I was like, stand down? What does that mean? Uh, she's like, um, basically, it means, I, I don't remember her exact words. But Man, she, I'm going to holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounded like she was saying, I want to wash my hands of this. I don't want to see it. Uh, let somebody else deal with it in six months. But what happened was the prosecutor, the, not the green kid, but the, uh, the chief prosecutor um, kind of bamboozled me and, and uh, ran some sales game on me. Uh, to convince me to to go to trial uh, about six weeks after that, which I don't really understand how he can even do that. Like he just goes over the magistrate's head. But this is, you know, just another example of how much of a shambles the Australian court system is. So that that was a lot of fun. Yeah, but in, I mean, in the hearing, I ended up getting my fines reduced and... I yeah, it was a, basically a train wreck. I, did, I had no idea what I was doing, and I was trying to cross-examine the witnesses, and, and the prosecutor was objecting to every second thing I said. So uh, that was an interesting experience. But the yeah, the the point about that was, uh, it's as I said, with the letters of with the ATO and, and all this nonsense, it started to click to me like the, these people don't give any straight answers. They don't tell you what authority they have, and um, if I don't have any evidence of that authority, I mean, what can what you can assert without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. So a, a few months later, I saw some videos from Stefan Molyneux and like uh, one famous one is the story of your enslavement. And uh, this talks about how people are treated like cattle uh, like livestock or he compares them to kind of free-range cattle, free-range slaves. And uh, that's, how, that's how people are treated through taxation. Uh, the fruits of your labor is just, they skim a little bit off the top. And 
um, Molyneux makes the case that uh, government is unnecessary and uh, it's actually immoral. It's it's not just like I was seeing it from a, a law, a perspective of a law, of common law, and I would say government is unlawful, that most of their actions are unlawful, but he further made the case that government is immoral, uh, that government steals things and... and uh, performs theft and murder and all these types of nasty atrocities. This this neologism is uh, democide. Democide means when a government kills its own people. And even if you exclude the Holocaust and, and a few other things from the 20th century, governments killed hundreds of millions of their own people. It's a, you know, it's a serious cause of death. It's serious. It's really serious, <laughs> deadly serious. Governments kill people uh, every day. People in Mexico, it's one of the reasons I, I like living here. Um, I'm sure I've said it many times. People in Mexico know this. People in Mexico know that governments kill people and they don't accept government as legitimate for the most part. If I tell a Mexican that taxation is theft, they will say yes. Um, of course it is, you know, that requires no further explanation. If I say that to an Australian, I have to get into a whole long-winded debate trying to analyze, explain what theft is and, and how taxation and theft are more overlapping than you think, draw a few diagrams, spend about uh, th three hours discussing it with them uh, for them to just say, look, let's just agree to disagree. <laughs> That's what I like living in Mexico, where, like when I start to try to explain my political or apolitical beliefs, how I don't think government is a legitimate institution. People are wide open to the idea, because that's one thing in, in one de definition of government is a monopoly on violence in a geographic area that has the appearance of legitimacy. And in Mexico, in a lot of Latin America, I don't think that is, there is an appearance of legitimacy, or at least it's very thin, very thin veneer of legitimacy. Yeah, I, I can completely agree with that. I don't think, I don't think people, um, people, they know exactly what's going on, so they can't be brainwashed anymore. Yeah. I, and I, I'm not sure exactly where that comes from. I'm not sure whether it's mm. from a history of, of listening to your parents, Mm. Whinge and complain about you know the situation, yeah, or just all through Mexican history and I mean Latin American as well, yeah, yeah. It's just evident that the, the government's not there to help you. Yeah, I guess it goes back a long way. I, I have, wonder what it's like to grow up in the Mexican school system, which I probably should uh, ask some of my friends some more detailed questions about, because I have to wonder, like, there's. There must be something subtle in the Australian school system which says to people like this is this is the correct way. Uh, it's it's some kind of meta communication uh, because the teacher is at the front. 
you do what the teacher says. That's that's that. That's that's normal. That's that's the way it should be. This authoritarian model, where that's that's not really how things work in the real world, except when government gets involved, where you know a, bun- a small group of people are telling you what to do. And I think it's almost having the concept of having like a high school captain mm. and the prefects yeah. as well. I mean, we had that in primary school as well. Yeah. And yeah, as a kid, it seems like a silly little game you're playing at the time and you got, you know, you stand up and ask questions to this panel of, of captain and prefects. Mm. And, but that's kind of, I think that's where the seed comes in. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Like where they, they try to get you to form your own government. Where you're and controlling also, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting you to be complicit with the system. Like we, we, uh, elect certain members among the population. It's like something out of, I'm about to break Godwin's law here, but it's like something out of Nazi Germany, like in Schindler's List, you'll see there'll be one of the kids is selected as a guard. One of the Jewish kids is he's like, I'll volunteer to be one of Hitler's guards. And, and he's a Jew, but at the same time, he's, one of the Nazis and he's being, he's actually controlling the Jews. Uh, and because of that, I, I guess it makes them more complicit. I see that same example in swing kids. Yeah. And the whole swing movement being, uh, being like the voice against mm. the, uh, against the, I guess the suppression of a government political parties. Yep. But in that one of the, one of the guys from the group as well, He's like selected to join, to join the, I guess the Nazi army, mm. and then he comes back and he's, he's beaten on his own friends, mm. and then they look at him like, "What are you doing?" Okay, I might check that out. Yeah, so, yeah, this was my long, long road in philosophical development, where I I started believing to some extent in personal liberty, but I never understood how far it went. Then uh, with listening to Ron Paul, I started to understand economic liberty. Like I understood that government wasn't actually uh, keeping us safe. It it wasn't keeping the water clean or or keeping the food safe to eat or or anything like that. It it actually had very little to do with the government. It's um, people's own incentives. Like as, as Adam Smith said, it's not by the benevolence of the butcher or the baker that uh, you can go to their shop and buy something from them. It's from their own self-interest. And self-interest, well, it, it gets made out to be a bad guy, and I guess sometimes it can. There has, to be, there has to be a few things which go along with it, like people have to have a, a, a long-term view and they have to be respectful and it's compassion on, on some level. Um, but they, yeah, they have to be. They have to have some level of wisdom, some basic level of wisdom, to see that uh, violence isn't a sustainable way to run a business. Um, but self-interest is good. Self-interest is is really good. Uh, it it's good to do things for yourself, and when you do things for yourself, you can also do things for other people. That's um, something about 
Confucius. Uh, Confucius said you you should. Well, this sounds really weird to say. <laughs> Confucius on. says no. It's not a joke. Confucius actually said this. <laughs> Confucius said it's it's in your interest to pursue your passion, and. Somebody looked back at that and said, how can Confucius say this when the idea of Confucianism is supposed to be about looking around, looking out for those around you, uh, being compassionate and, and helping people? And the, the way that this paradox is resolved is because pursuing your own self-interest is, is good. Pursuing your own passion is good. And it, it absolutely does lead to benefits for other people, just like with the butcher and the baker and, and just like with uh, Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, they, they pursue their own interests and they actually make earth and humanity better through technology, through improvements by Pursuing their own interests, they actually give something to the world. And that's, that's, something, uh, that's something really amazing. The gift. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, through, uh, through understanding personal liberty, uh, economic liberty, and understanding how law shall apply equal, equally to everybody. And then when I finally got that piece about how government is immoral, it all clicked into place for me and, and I realized that government is illegitimate and unnecessary and unlawful. Uh, we just don't need it. Uh, we can look out for each other. Yeah. You got it. Cool. Uh, I, I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> Great. All right. Uh, so my name's Kurt Robinson. My name's Aaron Battle. Yep. Uh, press like on YouTube. Press subscribe on YouTube. Press like on Facebook. Press get notifications so you remember to see notifications from us, seeing what good stuff we're up to. Subscribe on iTunes and on Pocket Casts. And lend us a hand. If you like the episode, give us a dollar on donate.theparadiseparadox.com. Uh, we accept in donations by Bitcoin and altcoins. All right, peace. Support and donate.theparadiseparadox.com.